All right, guys, welcome back. Uh, this is podcast number 59. Um, I've got a special guest again with me a couple podcasts ago. I don't know if it was our last one or the one before. Uh, we had Lillian in on it with us. Um, she was not feeling good. It was a couple weeks ago. Um, and so she kind of sat in with us and, and added her two cents. Uh, she's with us again today. We are So if you do hear some noises in the background, um, if we end up having to cut it, I think we cut it once last time when we had her here because it just, it just was getting a little bit rough. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to see how she does. She's having, she's on lunch hour right now. So she's eating some chicken and drinking milk and sitting literally with Ben and I here at the table. Um, she's home because, uh, we're going through some interesting times. Obviously everybody is aware and we, we release these pretty quickly after we record them. Um, Interesting times right now, uh, unprecedented, I guess, uncharted waters. So um, kids are home from school for a couple weeks. Um, we are do practicing, I think they call it social distancing. Um, ben, scoot over a little bit. You're within my comfort zone. Uh, but we, are, we have enhanced our um, protocol here, as most places have. We're washing our hands more. We're paying attention to spacing out. And, and quite honestly... Um, it's not the worst habit probably to get in going forward. So we're not going to talk much about that today specifically, um, but it is such a big in our face type thing. It's hard not to um, relate to it these days in some way or fashion. So um, this is a podcast. This podcast we're going to talk about today is not going to be based off of any questions, although I have been stacking many of those up and we'll be getting to those. Um, we have the last several podcasts have been driven off of Facebook and Instagram and maybe even a little bit of YouTube um, feedback and interaction that we have. Obviously, we've got a lot of projects going still. Our Bella Be Good continues to roll out. If you are not, list, if you are not watching or subscribe to our YouTube, I recommend you do it. It's at Dogbone Hunter. Um, ben has been doing a good job of continually posting um, new episodes of Bella Be Good. I have fallen behind a bit with the promos. That doesn't, just because you're not seeing the promos on Instagram and Facebook doesn't mean new episodes aren't coming out. They are. I'm actually three or four behind right now. So if you are into the Bella Be Good series, um, I would make sure you subscribe and turn your notifications on. Uh, you'll get notified on you through email, I think, is how it's set up, depending on how you have your YouTube account set up. But it'll let you know when a new episode goes. And Ben is continually doing those. We're still out about... 15 probably, um, that we've recorded ahead of what we've actually promo, uh, posted or, or made live on the YouTube channel. So <clears throat> that is something that's ongoing. Um, we've got another series that I'm very excited about um, that's going to start soon, uh, maybe probably this week even. Um, it's probably, in my opinion, one of the most valuable things we've done. Um, and I'll get into that in a little bit. Um, but that's going to be starting. That's a YouTube. That's going to be a YouTube series and Facebook. We're going to put that one on Facebook. Um, so if you're following us on the different social channels, you'll hit see it in different spots. But that one will play the full episodes on Facebook, which some of them are up to 20, 30 minutes long. Um, some are shorter, like seven to ten minutes. But um, I'll get into that in a little bit. Um, what I'm going to talk about today is I want to share a story with you. Uh, I feel like Mr. Rogers a little bit. I just watched that movie and he, I liked it. Uh, I thought it was awesome. Um, the guy was super interesting. I loved his patience. Um, 
and he slowed everything down around him. And this isn't what the story is about, but it, I just bring it up because we just literally watched that movie not too long ago. I recommend it if you um, haven't seen it. But it was really an interesting story, um, true story, obviously. And the pace that he carried made those around him comfortable. And I think we can take something from that as a dog trainer. I think we can also take it um, something from it as just a human being. Um, I think these times that are a little stressful, um, creating issues, I think, you know, in society right now, there's some panic probably is a good way of describing it. Um, but there's also, I look at it as a really good chance and opportunity to slow down and realize, be aware of what's around us, understand that, yeah, you got to be concerned with it, but we're not going to just freak out. Um, we've talked a lot about it at work here with our guys. Um, we've had to because we have to deal with it. We're a small, small company, um, but there's five, six guys and girls that are working with us, um, not all full-time, but there's five or six of us that rotate in and out and help keep the thing keep things moving here, and we have to discuss it. We have to be sure we're all on the same page, and, um, and part of what we're doing is from a business standpoint, I don't know that we're changing that much. Um, it's business as usual for us because we are so small. But there's a lot of people around us that are being impacted. And we need to be conscious of it. We need to com be compassionate about it. We have to have understanding. Uh, our kids are going to be coming home from school. Um, I look at that as really a little bit of a blessing. And I say that and some people are rolling their eyes going, you're an idiot. And I'm going, yeah, maybe a little bit. But I... I get to take care of Lillian for, if not all day, part of the day. I get to see our kids at home when I normally wouldn't because they're at school and we're working. And we get into such a fast pace and have all this stuff to do. The thing is, is it all has to get done and it all will get done. It's just a matter of when and how quickly. And there's this springtime is always a reminder of it. Um, because sometimes we have early springs and sometimes we have late springs. Sometimes we get winter, you know, snowstorms in May. Um, and, and who knows, we might get that yet too. But is, as things happen in, in nature, um, everything gets done. And there's this, this quote that it's, I don't, I don't have it verbatim, but something about nature never rushes yet. Everything is accomplished. And when you think about that, it's true. Like, you never see nature rushing. You never see nature panicking. You never see things freaking out because of something that came up, yet things are coming up constantly out there. Um, this is just something, this whole corona thing. It's just something. And everything's going to get done within our company. Everything's going to get done within our family. Everything's going to get done with our, our kids' education. Everything is going to get done. We're all going to eat. We're all going to get toilet, enough toilet paper to make it through. Like you can laugh about some of this stuff, but it, some of it's pretty serious. And I think the reality is, is if we just take it and put it into perspective and handle it appropriately, we're going to be just fine. Now, I went and I took a course not too long ago. Um, I went to a blacksmithing class. It was a um, gift. That, and, and, and I kicked around this topic for the podcast for a couple of weeks now because I wanted it to be just perfect. Um, I thought about it. I took some notes on it. I didn't take as many notes on it as I wish I had because I'd get random ideas and thoughts that would come up in my head. 
and I wish I would have noted them all. Some of them I did, but I wanted this pod. I thought this podcast was this idea for this podcast was just brilliant, and, and I say that with a little bit of sarcasm. But I thought it was a real good analogy to some of the dog stuff that I relate to and others relate to with us, and in particular workshops. Um, but so I signed up. Uh, I didn't sign up. We it was a gift for Steph and I for Christmas. And we went and we did a blacksmithing course where this guy has this little blacksmith shop and he does blacksmithing and he brings people in on the weekend and it's at eight, like eight hours and you learn how to do it. And it's this ancient old craft and it, it was really cool and I was kind of excited about it. I was a little intimidated by the idea of it. I've never done anything like that. Um, so it was totally new to me, 100%. had no idea what I was getting into. Really didn't know the concept behind it. Didn't know any of the ideas behind it. Just knew that, you know, the cartoon where there's a big anvil and a red hot steel and they pound on it. That was about my extent of understanding blacksmithing. So when we went there, this guy introduces himself. And he is old school. He's got big handlebar mustache, um, bandana. So we walk in and this guy is like kind of like a page out of the history books. Um, you know, it's it's an ancient craft. And and so he's got this office that's full of like things that are made that he has made. He does it for a living, so he's doing like ornamental stuff for different people. It's all like unique. Everything he builds is one of a kind basically. He can replicate stuff pretty closely, but no two things are the same. And so this we walk into it and we're looking at this little studio that he has and we're looking at all these things and we realize that we have the opportunity, we're gonna have an opportunity to build something by the end of this class. Um, but he introduces himself, he gets us in there, he gets the rest of the class in, it's a relatively small group, but varying from like an older guy to um, Steph being a younger gal, myself being in the middle, uh, my father-in-law was there, um, his girlfriend was there. So it was, and, and it was just, it was a mixed, mixed group of people. Um, there was a guy younger than us. It's actually, um, Steph's dad's girlfriend's son. So like, yeah, follow that family tree. But so he was there, he had some experience with blacksmithing before. So, um, you know, he was way ahead of everybody else. And so it was just a real interesting dynamic as far as the group and the background and history of who would, the people that were there. And then we come in, so I'm uncomfortable to begin with. I'm starting to see, he's taking us through it, and he's talking about we're going to make hooks. And so that's how you make a hook, and you practice making hooks, and you there's a couple different techniques. you got to twist the steel, you got to flatten it, you got to make a different type of point, you got to put some bends in it. You, there's, there's just, if, when you think about a hook, it's a very simple thing but there's lots of little variations. And ironically, to build a hook, you gotta do just about every little thing that you get a taste of blacksmithing, like the different techniques, the different, the different steps to build a hook. Cover just about everything you need to build just about anything. All, ironically, blacksmithing is really simple. Um, the big picture of it, the scope of it is super simplified. It, you heat metal up, you shape it, you mold it, you turn it into something else. Um, there's, just like anything else, there's a lot of technical parts to it. There's a lot of things about staying square and making sure that you always correct it to be 
right and straightened out and level and otherwise it gets too loose and if it gets too loose and it gets too bent and crooked and then you're repairing more than you're building and so it's just it's this idea of the words the guy used that i thought were brilliant was he said we coax and correct that's all we do as a as a blacksmith we coax the metal and then we make the corrections and so we coax it and correct it and he said one of the things that we need to do is we need to always be looking three steps ahead so when we get into this we're going to look at you know what the finished product's going to be where you're starting which is just a flat stick of steel or whatever it is that you're using for raw material and then what's three steps down the road and what's beyond that and what how are you going to get to that third step and that takes step one and then step two and then step three and then by the time you're to step three you're thinking about step six because it's three steps down the road so this guy was painting this vision to us of you coax and correct the steel it's a process you heat it up and then you work on it. You heat it up and you work on it. And what's interesting is, is when you heat it up and take it out, you only have so long. You only have so long between when it becomes workable to when it becomes not workable. And what do you do when it becomes not workable? Put it back in the stove. Put it back in the little heater thing. And it heats it back up and then you take it back out. Well, there's downtime in there. So when it's in the little stove, you're thinking about what your next move is. Because when you take it out, if you're dilly-dallying thinking, what am I going to do now? You just ran out of your opportunity to change the metal because it cools off. So it's a real methodical thing that goes on and on and on, but it's really, it, what uh, some of the things that really stood out to me were, first off, I was super uncomfortable when I got there. And the guy made me instantly comfortable because he basically took the edge off and said, look, I asked some questions and he said, look, a lot of his answers were, well, that's kind of up to you. Now, there's principles that I couldn't just be up to me. There was ideas of you heat it to a certain point, it looks a certain color, you hit it a certain way, there's a technique and a form, there is a, a clear mechanical way to do it correctly, or you waste your energy, you waste the opportunity to actually change the metal, um, you just, it, there's things that you, it won't turn out well if you do it, if you don't do, follow simple mechanical procedures that are like standard blacksmithing stuff. But I said to him something about, you know, I'm making this coat hook. Well, I, I started bending it, and I bent it the wrong way, basically. I, bent, I Basically, instead of curl, making a curl and curling it in, I curled it out. And so I didn't recognize it and realize it until I was like halfway into it. And I went, oh, man. I looked at the example that I was supposed to be replicating, and I went, mine's the opposite. Now, it still was functional. It still was going to work. Like, it's still a hook shape. It still would be able to put something on. It's just the curl went out instead of in. And so I showed it to the guy, and I, uh, and I was a little embarrassed by it. And I, you know, should I, should I start over? Should I try to correct this? And he looked at me, and he said, well, you could. You could do all of that. Or you can look at it and go, will it work? And, and I guess I, look, I looked at it at that point, and I said, yeah, it'll work. It's just it's not right. It's not the same. And he goes, well, it's not right depending on what's your definition of right. He said, you know, you're the artist. It's gotta be, it's gotta be right to you, not necessarily to me. And I said, in this scenario, that's really true. I, I didn't realize that. But I thought I have to replicate exactly what this guy is doing because he's the teacher and he's the blacksmith guy. And I realized real quickly, there's a little bit of freedom in this and it's t what suits my needs. So as long as the hook works, really doesn't matter if it's curled in or curled out. 
Not really. We got a dog scratching on the bed down there. Lay down. Good dog. So what was interesting was his attitude was what's important is how you feel about it as an artist. And, and so I went, well, I kind of like this freedom a little bit because there are some things that I can take the liberty of and then there's some things that I got to follow the rules and I got to follow the rules and making sure that I keep it square. And when I, when I say keep it square, I mean like as I pounded on this thing, it would start to bend and cool differently. And then I'd, before I put it back in the stove to heat it back up, he said, you always got to straighten that back out, correct that, fix that. Fix that before you put it back in and heat it back up because if you don't, it's started to twist already the wrong way. You go put it in the oven now, it's going to get way hot. It's going to get way twisted and you're going to come back out and you're going to lose the complete shape of it. And so now you're going to have to reform it in the first place. So it was this real understanding that I needed to have of how much to change it or try to change it and then regroup basically. Put it back in the stove. But before you put it back in the stove, make sure you get it shaped properly so you can start out with good material the next time. And one of the things that I found out really quickly was my lack of patience showed really strongly in this process. Now, some people that are listening to this and some people that message me and email me go, man, you, you've got incredible patience. And they see one aspect of my life. They see me with a puppy or they see me with a dog. Or maybe they see me some of the stuff with our kids and family. But I'll be honest, you don't see it all. And I get pretty short patience. I get, I get, I'm just like everyone else. Um, I have, I, I blow my top on stupid stuff. Um, I'm reminded oftentimes of it. Dog training is probably one of the things that helps be clear for me to be a reminder of slowing down and being patient. That's because I practice the hell out of it. I do that the most. That's where I practice that patience the most. I never blacksmithed before in my life. And I'm a guilty of, I'm not an artist. I don't consider myself really an artist. I could never do taxidermy because I just don't have the patience for it. I want results quicker. I don't have the, I don't have the ability to let that process unfold over the length that it truly takes. And there's a reason why when you send your deer head off, it comes back a year later. And it's partially because the guy is probably busy. And the other part is, is because it takes time. It takes a lot of steps to get to the finished product. And if you rush it, you get some of those heads that come back and you put them really high up in your ceiling towards your and on your walls because you go, I got to put it so high you can't see it. Because that's when the stuff doesn't look good. Is when you went too fast. And so this whole blacksmithing thing, I get into this and I learned quickly that my patience was lacking. And the reason I say it is because the example is I wanted to get way more done than I could possibly do in the time that I was allowed. So half the day I built, half the time we learned how to build a hook. The second half of the day you were allowed to do a project and I wanted to build a fire poker. So I wanted to build two fire pokers. I knew my time was limited, so I wanted to get two of them. I wanted to get two different styles. I wanted to get a round one and a square one. So I started out with a square one and I thought, I can do this. It's pretty simple. It's a fire poker. It's not real complicated. It's, pre it's, rep it's replicating all the little skills that we built the coat hooks with. So it's just put them into different sequence and use the material a little different and you end up with a fire poker. But all the same techniques, all the same little uh, mechanical things of twisting the steel and bending it and flattening it and all that stuff was, it was just used differently to build the fire poker. Now, what you want to grab there? She's trying to reach your feet. Well, grab your feet there, little girl. I got a little girl here that's <laughs> giggling and laughing in her stool right now. So, but 
so what I did was I realized when it came to the afternoon after lunch, and I didn't even take a lunch because we just ate quickly because I got a chance to get back into the shop and I didn't want to waste my time because I knew my time was limited. And so I, we went right back in, Steph and I, and we started working on our projects. And I realized I want to get two done, so I tried to do two at once. I was struggling to get one done well. I tried to do two at once. I got into a lot of a mess real quick, and I was overwhelmed. And I thought, my God, I thought this was going to be a lot easier than it was. And here I am trying to shuffle two pieces in and out of the stove. And the reason I did it was because the instructor told me what he does is he always builds two of whatever he's building. And that's because you have downtime. So like you got to stick the thing back in the stove to get it hot or the burner or whatever you want to call it. And in the meantime, I take a second piece out and I work on it. And by the time that cools off, I shove, shove it back in and I take the one that's been in there out and I work on it and I take, make the next steps. So it's really efficient the way he does it. He builds two of the two of him and it allows him to basically do the same step twice in a row and get two products in the same amount of time. Otherwise, he's just standing around waiting for it to get hot. So I said, well, I'm going to do that. So here I am, never made one of these before, but I'm going to try to build two at the same time. Well, let me tell you right now, that was a cluster. And I ended up putting one of them down and going, I need to focus on one or I'll have two that suck and I'll never get them done and they're going to look like crap. So I had to focus on one. So I did that finally. But what I realized was every time early on when I would put that thing in and get it hot, I'd take it out and I'd start beating on it, pounding on it, shaping it. And I'd go back to what he said. He said, coax it and correct it. Coax it and correct it. Well, I tried to get step one, two, and three done each time I took it out. And I was getting frustrated because I wasn't able to get as much accomplished as I wanted to. And so then I realized what was happening. And I did this time and time again, and it didn't work. And so what I ended up doing was realizing, okay, put the thing in the stove. Think about what's going to happen next. Like one step that I need to get done when I bring this thing out and work on doing that. And so I put the thing in the stove, it got hot, it came out, and I worked on that one small step. And when I worked on that one small step, all of a sudden that step got done and it got done pretty well. And I went, wow, that went a lot smoother. Put it back in the stove, think about my next step, pull the thing out, and I got that step done. I put it back in the stove, I thought about my next step, I pulled it out, I pounded on it a little bit, I got it. And every time before I put it away, put it back in there, I made the corrections that I needed to make. Straighten it back out, make sure it's kind of square, make, make sure it's whatever I needed to do to make sure that when it came back out of the stove, I was able to immediately start in on whatever my next step was. And all of a sudden, in a matter of like an hour or so, I became a lot more productive by taking much smaller steps and realizing that I was going to be taking smaller steps and being okay with it. And the instructor actually came over and he goes, that was the moment, like after a couple cycles of this, he came over and he goes, I watched you struggle for a while there. I said, yeah, I was really struggling. And he said, that last cycle was your most, was your best one yet. And he said, because you, you knew what you wanted to do. You hit it three times. You got what you needed and you put it back. You didn't try to go beyond that. You didn't try to take more action steps just because the last one went well you put it back in you heat it up you thought about it you came back and you hit your next one and so i started to i built two fire pokers in the amount of time it would have taken me to build 
one halfway because I stopped taking such big chunks. And I really started to look at the idea of, I started thinking about it after, Cokes and correct, cokes and correct, cokes and correct. I think of correction when it comes to dogs. I think most people think of corrections as negative. And I think what was real interesting with this was coaxing and correcting immediately sunk in with me as to that's all I do with a dog. All I do is coax them and correct them, coax them and correct them. And But the, what I wanted to be careful with when I started talking about this, and I'm going to use this going forward, this is something that will change one of our outline, our outline of our workshop because there, I talk about this, but not in this type of way, and I think this is an easier way for people to understand. But So we're gonna, we'll be covering stuff like this. this. This is a topic that we'll cover a little bit more in depth in a workshop, but the idea of coaxing and correcting with a dog or coaxing and correcting as this blacksmith uses it, which was a great way of explaining what he was doing, is the correction part is not negative. So correcting, it's a lot like discipline. I use discipline a lot. I use the word discipline a lot. Discipline does not mean negative. It, it, people think discipline means beat kids up. You're disciplining your kids. You're spanking them. No, that doesn't mean that. Discipl like If you think of discipline as an athlete, a well-disciplined athlete, you think of it as a very positive thing. A person who makes good decisions on the floor or court or field or whatever it is they're playing sport-wise. A well-disciplined athlete makes good decisions. They, are, they don't get into trouble. They don't cause trouble on or off the court, in and out of the locker room. Like That's a definition, of, to me, of an athlete that's well-disciplined. And that is a very positive thing. But when we start thinking about discipline with our dogs, we think, well, we smack them or we put shot collars on them, or we do some type of pressure to give them, make them submit. And I think it's completely the wrong attitude to take. And I think when it comes to coaxing and correcting, I think the word correction itself needs to be understood that correction does not mean physically hurting the dog. It doesn't mean making an adjustment physically to pressure the dog, to put any type of force to the dog. Correction to me is like when I put that steel back into, before I put that steel back into the stove to heat it back up, I had to correct whatever I had done to make it square again. So I had to get it dialed back in. And so correct, that was how I corrected it. Correcting it was a very positive thing. Correcting it was straightening it up. Straightening it up didn't mean negative. It just meant polishing. It meant writing. It, it, a good word to use in, in place of correction is write it. Write it. Write the ship. Write the dog. Don't correct it. Write it. Help it understand what's right. And when we start saying write it, now all of a sudden it's positive. Where correct it is a lot of times thought of as negative. And so I think we have to sh change that mentality. I think we have to change that mindset. So when I corrected my steel, I just righted it. And it made it easier for when I took it back out because I didn't have to make any adjustments. I just got right to the next step. And so this is all blacksmithing stuff. I get done with this class and I go, this was awesome. I built two fire pokers. They're not like super fancy. They're pretty rustic. Um, they're my style. That's how I like it. I would prefer that rather than a manufactured thing. I think it's also the interesting part 
is the idea of blacksmithing is old school, super old school, time consuming. You could go to Menards and buy hooks. I could buy a 24 pack of hooks for probably five bucks, comparable to what we built, except they're all going to be identical. And they're all going to have the exact same finish. And they're all going to be, because they were cast or they were some type of modern technology of manufacturing produced them perfectly. And they also produced them cheaply. And they're probably made, and when I say cheap, I don't, I mean inexpensive. But I also mean cheap probably in not super high quality either. Uh, probably a lower grade material. Probably, um, you know, not necessarily, the reason it costs a little, you get what you pay for is a saying that my partner, Scott, always tells me, my business partner, he always says, hey, we get what we pay for. And so I believe in that. And so you're going to buy a 24 pack for five bucks at Menards. 24 of these hooks from handmade from this guy are going to cost a lot more. Like, but, and no two are going to be identical. And so it goes back to the idea of, there, I made this analogy. I told the guy, I said, man, we're building little snowflakes here because they're all different. Every one of them is unique. Our, our hooks, Steph made three or four. I made three or four. None of them are identical. None of them look the same. Some of it's intentional. Some of it is not intentional. We made these hooks. And what I thought was interesting was I started thinking about the business end of it. This guy builds really high-end stuff for homes and businesses and and he just manufactures these things one at a time. And it's time consuming, but they're, to me, they're exactly what I want. They're unique. I love handmade stuff. I love handmade stuff that I made myself. I just got, this is a totally different tangent, and we'll probably talk about this later, but we did maple syrup this weekend for the first time ever. And I think it's the best maple syrup that's ever been made in the world. It's because I made it. And it tastes like maple syrup. It's a little smokier than probably some. Depends if you like smoky or not. Some people might say, it's too smoky for me. I don't like it. That's okay. I love it. It is maple syrup. It will go on a pancake. It will be very similar. It's very similar to other people's maple syrups. But it's just like wine. It's just like booze, like vodka or whiskey or bourbon or scotch. It's just like... It's like a lot of things in life. You can buy small handcrafted things. They're going to cost more and they're going to take more time to build. Or you can go and buy a bottle of Kessler's. And there's nothing wrong with Kessler's. But Kessler's is made, is made different than um, Blanton's. It's just different. It costs, costs less. One costs more than the other. And it all is directly related back to a lot of it has to go into what does it take to produce it? What are the ingredients? What are the raw materials? And so I look at this and I look at dogs and dog training. Hey, little girl, quit pounding. And I think about it. Why don't you take that tray off and I'll hold on to her. And so Ben here is babysitting for me. You got to push those buttons. Yeah, there you go. And you'll unbuckle that seatbelt on her. I'll bring her over and we'll see if we can have her settle in here a little bit to finish this up. But so when it comes to dogs, especially when it comes to training dogs, owning dogs, I think there's a lot of analogies to the blacksmithing thing. And part of it is 
And, and I need to take away from that backsmithing class and share some of the mentalities that that teacher had because he was great. Uh, he made me feel comfortable. He made me feel like I could do it. He made me believe in the fact that I could build my fire poker. He let me make enough mistakes on my own. He didn't handhold me. He didn't come over and correct every little thing he did. I did. He let me make mistakes. And then he came over and offered help. And he offered to give me some advice. And when I did it well, he said, you did good. And when I didn't do it so good, he said, here's maybe what you should work on. So that guy did a great job of getting my level of comfort with blacksmithing capable of actually doing it. And so one of the things that I think the analogy is, is I hope to be kind of like that blacksmith guy for you with your dogs. And the thing, a couple of the things about it is, if you train your own dog, you're going to do one at a time. That's how I do them. I got one client's dog in right now. I've got another one that's going to be coming. You know, this one's Bella's 11 months old, something like that. We're, we're going to train them one at a time because that's how I do it. I don't mass produce them. And so, and I don't have a problem with Menards. I don't have a problem with you. I buy a lot of coat hooks for a 24 pack for five bucks because it's cost effective for me in certain situations. But in certain situations, like our cabin where we wanted some coat hooks, they're going to be a lot. I'm going to enjoy them a whole lot more because we built six of them ourselves and they don't look the same and if i had bought them they would have cost me more but i built it myself so it saved some there but we paid you know I, it was a gift but the class was like a couple hundred bucks so when you divide out the cost of those code hooks they got pretty expensive pretty quick but it was the experience that we had doing it that was i'm gonna say we got a good deal out of it because i enjoyed it that much i had that much fun out of it so there's a, so much relation to you guys training your dogs me training my dogs the value in it is the time that you put in but the value in it is also the return you get out of it my maple syrup tastes better than yours i think but it's partially because i made it that's why i feel that way it's partially because we spent eight hours cooking it and i smoked cigars and drank beer and relaxed and trimmed brush in the front yard and put wood on the fire and smelled like smoke and smelled like sap and like this whole experience I, I did it with my family and I had more fun doing that than I would ever have going to the store and buying a bottle of Aunt Jemima and I don't even do that anymore I, I mean we got some here that we bought from the maple syrup dude it's called this guy makes maple syrup and he sells it commercially and we bought a bottle of it and it tastes pretty good it tastes very close to what we what we made I think mine tastes better and it's not because and maybe it doesn't but I feel like it does because I have so much into it I got eight hours of commitment into it and I loved every minute of it and every time I eat a pancake and have it I'm gonna go Oh, remember that time we played that maple syrup song while we were watching this? I played it 10,000 times. Google it. Pete Seeger. It's called Maple Syrup Time. I played it a thousand times on Saturday because I just loved it. It's a story. The little song, He's a folk singer and he sang this story about making maple syrup. And that was part of my experience. And so each one of you guys have your own experience. And that's your dog. That's your puppy. That's your chance to enjoy the process rather than look at it as a chore if if maple syrup becomes too much work if blacksmithing 
If I hated bl the blacksmithing process, if I didn't make analogies to blacksmithing in my life, if I didn't think about blacksmithing for a week straight after, I have no desire to go blacksmithing and build a kiln or whatever you want to call that thing. He gave us, he gave us plans to build our own little oven thing. If we wanted to make our own, we could do it, he said. He showed us how to do it. I have no desire to do it. I didn't love it that much. But I thought about it for a week straight after. And I thought more so about how it related to my the rest of my life. Not so much building stuff out of steel. I will probably buy stuff from that guy. Because I have a story behind it now. I worked with him. He worked with me. He helped me. Hey, take it easy. But I will pay extra to get a gate made by him than I will go to get one at a store. And that's if I can afford it and it fits in our budget and all that stuff. But I just, I've got a whole new sense of value to things that are handmade when it comes to steel items. I have a whole sense of value to dogs that are trained without shock collars. I have a value for dogs that are trained by the owners themselves. I also see results that are better, in my opinion. Now again, that comes back to you being the artist. I think it's a lot more impressive when someone trains their own dog and can take it and do stuff and enjoy it compared to sending them off. And maybe having that same type of control. No, don't touch that. And maybe not having that same type of control. Because I see, look, I look at a lot of times when people send dogs off and they come back, I think they get good results. I rarely see great. And I think it's because there's the connection part of the process was missed. The training part is a process that is valuable. And if you don't do it, you don't get it. And I think what ends up happening is, is we create some of these dogs to be temporarily trained. And it's temporary and it fades. And then you get to the point as an owner where you go, I don't know how to fix it anymore because I didn't do it in the first place. So we send the dog back. And I don't have a problem with that. So I'm not knocking trainers. and I'm not knocking kennels. I don't care about it. I, I, I think it's a fit for certain people. But I also think the people that are listening to this podcast are probably not those people. The people that follow our stuff on social media are the people that are probably interested in doing it themselves. That's who I can help. I don't, you don't need my help if your plan is to send it off to a kennel. And I don't hold it against you if you do. What I do hold it against you is if you do it because you don't believe there's another way to do it. That's where I think it needs to be understood. There is a way to do it. You just have to understand it. I needed to go and learn how to do blacksmithing to realize that I don't want to be a blacksmith. I'm not going to be a blacksmith. I'll probably buy some stuff from a blacksmith, though, because if I can afford it and I think there's a need for it because I think it's cool. But I also think, I say that and I go, someday I may have a little project that I need a certain thing and I might sign up for the class knowing that I already know how to do the basic stuff and he's got an advanced class. And I may go, I want to go and build this one item because that's an item I'm going to look at every day and I want to know that I built it. I'm building a sauna right now out of an old 1800s log cabin. I could have went to Menards and bought two by fours, plywood, siding. I had had that thing done by now and it probably would be squarer 
and it would be probably more efficient and it would probably function just the same. But I don't want to build one that way. I want to build it out of this old log cabin and it's taking me a hell of a lot longer, but it's one thing that I want to do. And so I'm giving you all these little examples of weird things that I do in my life. I got a 1800s granary that I bought, salvaged and moved from being torn down. I want to finish it into living quarters. I'd be much better off further ahead, probably even financially, if I just built a 20 by 30 little guest house next to my house. But it won't be an 1800s granary restored. And that's just, those are some of the things that I'm into. Those are the things that I think are cool. And the value of them is not necessarily in the idea of the building itself. It's the process of how we got it, where it's been before us, and what we're going to do with it in the future. And that's just another example of blacksmithing. And blacksmithing is just another example of raising a dog. And so it, we kind of went into the weeds a little bit. That's a line that my buddy Tony Peterson uses all the time in his podcast. He talks about getting into the weeds. I get into the weeds a lot. This one, we got into the weeds quite a bit. Um, but I think the general idea is there. I hope the general idea is there. And I say it because I want to inspire and motivate you guys and I didn't even talk about it, but workshops are coming up. Um, we're going to be putting out some more information on that. Um, we've got this special project that is driven off of past workshops that Ben's been working really hard on, and I'm really excited to share it with you. It's going to be coming soon. I recommend, um, if you're not following us on Facebook, get on YouTube and follow us there. Um, if you are following us on Facebook, you'll see the notifications probably coming up. We're going to share this project through Facebook and YouTube. Um, but it's going to be driven off of workshops. And the whole workshop thing came back to, I hope our workshops and I believe our workshops impact people the way the blacksmith class impact me. I think that there are lots of opportunities out there for people to learn a craft, a trade. There's so much opportunity for us to, to learn something and then apply it in our lives. And what better way to do it than with a part of your family members like a family member within your your pack and that's your dog and then and it you know it's it's valuable to get educated before you get the dog most people don't we're not really planners uh we get the dog and then we get a couple months into it and then we go oh no lots of issues i think it's really smart to prepare i find more and more people these days are preparing for their puppies but i still we're always going to run into the ones that have four, five, six-month-olds that are to that point where they're not cute little puppies anymore. They're becoming little terrors of your house. And what do you do? It is completely salvageable. They are completely moldable puppies. But you're way better off if you coax and correct three steps ahead. If you get this mentality of, hey, easy. If you get this mentality of, not creating the problem first to have to fix. Coax and correct it in a positive way as opposed to let it go to hell and then try to figure it out how to salvage it. And that's sometimes I think what, what people are running into. So we went a lot longer. Lillian's mobile now. She's got a glove on. She's hitting the camera and the tripod. We're going to call this one a, a day. Uh, that's episode 59. Thank you, you guys, for the support. Um, I hope it makes sense. I think that one was... Here's Here, before I end it, that one... Ben's getting nervous. Uh, that one is a podcast that I put off 
for weeks and told Ben, I want to take better notes on it. I want to be prepared better for it. I have not done that. And we decided we have to do a podcast because we are behind and we got to get one out. And so I said, you know what? I can think about this as much as I want and plan it out as much as I want, or I can just do it. And sometimes we think about and are hesitant to do stuff with our dogs because we're chicken shit and we're afraid to do it. And we just don't do anything. And doing nothing is worse than doing something and making it not perfect and then coaxing and correcting it. And so I decided, let's do that one. It's not going to be perfect. But it's better doing it now and getting it done than continually putting it off and getting nothing done. And so we just did it. And I think we got to sometimes have the attitude of it's a fine line in figuring out where we can be in the middle. But if you don't do anything, nothing gets done. If you jump into it with no thought whatsoever, you may find yourself in a little bit deeper than what you expected. If you can somewhat get it fleshed out in your head, get a plan rough to, roughly at a minimum roughly together and then start it. And then I think you can start to dial your plan in as you go. And then you're not only are you getting stuff accomplished, but your, your corrections aren't so drastic and dramatic. They're, you're back to this process of understanding there's going to be coaxing and correcting. And it's writing whatever it is that you need righted. So that's it. We did it. We got it done. Uh, we got a couple other podcast ideas that we're going to be work that I've got that we're going to take my own advice and say, you know what, quit trying to perfect it before you do it. Just do it and work your way through it. We're going to do that. Uh, we're also going to stick to some of the questions that people have been asking because we've been getting a lot of them. And I have been behind on some of my responses. So thank you all for your patience. Um, I will be getting back to everybody. I will. I do get back to everybody unless it gets missed. And that happens occasionally. But I'm telling you, man, the volume of questions and responses and messages and just notes of, hey, this worked for me, thank you. All those little things mean the world to us, especially as a small company. I thank you for that. I ask if you would do us a favor, please continue to subscribe, share it with people that you think it would be valuable to, and leave us reviews. Um, those are all great ways for us to get an understanding and feedback and also help to try to share this bigger and grow it bigger, which is essentially a snowball effect it brings in more potential questions and comments that people are struggling with and allows me to help, I hope, more people at once. So thank you guys. Got long. I apologize for that. We'll keep them shorter in the future. Thank you. Thank you.